Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and my father's God, and will prepare him in habitation. My father's God and I will exalt him. We see this as, as the expression after having crossed the Red Sea, looking back and to seeing perhaps a, a few chariot parts floating around on the water and realizing that the enemy that just prior to this was uh, coming up against them and here they had the sea in front of them. They're having been provided a way of escape by God Almighty. They are now looking back. And what's the natural reaction but to reflect and see, oh, we need to thank God to praise him. So it's a natural expression. When we look at, at the Psalms, and there's so many Psalms that are really focused upon the whole concept of praise, uh, that it, it became very easy to find uh, many Psalms that would, would uh, be used as, as an illustration of this. And so I just have chosen two of them. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is calmly for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud voice. And if I can go to Psalm 34, the, the first three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make his boast of the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Showing the psalmist's intention and desire not only to uh, praise God by himself, but to join in others. And we know that while we can truly rejoice in the Lord ourselves, by ourselves, and uh, sing praises to him, even in our mind, perhaps if we're, if we're riding in a bus or something and, and, and you wouldn't want to sing out loud, inside yourself you could go ahead and praise him. But how that is even magnified a multitude when we can sing together uh, especially when we are singing in, in, uh, in harmony together uh, to praise Him. If I can look also at Psalm 100, the first five verses, and if I can just do as, as an aside. Uh, this psalm became a favorite of, of lots of, fo- of my classmates when we were going to school. Uh, when I was raised in New Jersey, there was a law that said that there shall be five verses read without comment from the Old Testament, as well as the Lord's Prayer, the Pledge to the Flag, and then optional was a patriotic hymn. That's how we began every day until 1963, when that law was passed that said that uh, this was unconstitutional and we were no longer permitted to do that. And because uh, Psalm 100 happens to have exactly five verses and because of, I think, of the expression of the words, a lot of the kids would choose this as well as myself. But listen to this as, as we see this expression of, of joy and of exuberance, of exhortation of, to praise the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good 
His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Examples in the New Testament. Usually we, we don't think, we, we think of, of praise, we think of especially of the Psalms. But even in the New Testament, we have a very specific example uh, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, said and expressed uh, extemporaneously upon hearing that she was to be the mother of the Savior. Uh, Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. In fact, um, even the Catholic Church describes this as being the Magnificat, uh, expressing in, in the Latin term, uh, where it's centered on the word of, of magnifying the Lord. And while we might say, how can we magnify the Lord? He is God already. It's really a question of, of being able to magnify for ourselves our understanding of who he is in our souls. And so she expresses this as a young woman. My Mary, and Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. But he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he is that he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them from them to of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to our father, to, of our to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed. Forever, in in her expression of the, of the joy of hearing this news that she was to bear the Savior, her mind automatically went back to the Old Testament stories that she had learned of the forefathers, and and is is just sort of tallying in her mind uh, reasons why indeed there is to praise God. And then not only did Mary praise God, we have evidence in the New Testament scriptures about the angels upon hearing uh, of the birth of Christ in chapter two of Luke. Verses 8 through 14. Now, I'd like to read that. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. And ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Then I think of the anticipated expression that we will hear of the angels in heaven and all who are with them in heaven in all eternity, found in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. This is what John is beholding. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Can you imagine what a choir that will be? Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb! that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. I'd like to touch on personal praise. Note that in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, let your name be holy. Well, God's name is already holy. But by beginning that expression as a pattern of our prayers, we need to hallow him in our lives. By, By recognizing who God is, who he is as our Savior and as our Lord as our Redeemer, as our Master, as our Friend, as our Shepherd, we we are recognizing the holiness of God. And by beginning that expression, uh, we see before we would ask anything uh, that this is indeed a way and a means that God has given to us to pattern our prayers by first by praising Him. And that should also be true as as part of our worship service. That's why we often begin with a hymn, a hymn of praise. And when brothers would select hymns, they should begin, I believe, the service with a hymn of praise. Because that is the pattern that God wants us to get into the right frame of reference for the service that would follow. But even individually, our waking thought should be, bless the Lord, O my soul. Something that would, would express Um, how we would want this day to begin so that the rest of the day can follow. Now, people who are not morning people um, may have difficulty with this. You might might say, oh, it's Monday, it's time to go to work, and and start thinking maybe about all the things, or maybe go to school, and I'm not quite ready yet because I haven't studied enough for that test. Maybe these are the thoughts that are occupying your mind. You You are setting your mind for a, down her, a downward spiral. But if we begin the day, the first awakening moment, by saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let this day be one that I would rejoice and fill my soul with the glory of God. Don't you see how this could become a, a way of setting up the day as being a much more positive experience? So personally, we need to begin every single day and then end it the same way. Blessing the Lord. O my soul, for what he has done through this day, as well as recognizing maybe the things that we need to repent for and and ask God for forgiveness for. And then throughout the day, as as the day would go on, let the words of the psalms and the the songs that we would sing and the hymns that we praise personally occupy our thoughts and and see how they end up lifting up the, the name of Jesus and changing even the course of our own attitudes, our own feelings perhaps of of discouragement or maybe even of of depression. And then, of course, is public praise. Uh, I would like to give you my definition of public praise. This is a quote from John Zoig. I didn't look it up anywhere. This is just something that I thought of while thinking about it. A joint expression of our recognition of the many attributes of God, his works, and an expression of thankfulness. I'll I'll say that again. A joint expression of our recognition of the many attributes of God, His works, and an expression of thankfulness. And how can we jointly praise God? 
what should be a description of it? It should be orderly, in good taste, and that always becomes a question of, of, of controversy. What is good taste? Not a cause of, discussion, of dissension, which would nullify it being a joint expression. And it should resemble the expression of the angels that we have just read in Revelation. It should be that kind of an expression. Can you imagine there being an argument among the angels as to what the type of singing should be when these thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands are singing together? Uh, can you imagine there being dissension among them and saying, well, I think we should sing it a little faster. I think we should sing it a little slower. I think we should have it in this kind of harmony or that kind of harmony with this kind of rhythm, that kind of rhythm. I can't, I can't perceive that. And so what we need to do is really focus on who are we as a brotherhood? Who are we as a fellowship? And what can we do to be able to perfect praise to our God? And I'm going to let David answer some of those questions. As I walked down the, the walkway, um, I was listening to some young people talking in front of me, and they, they talked about going to a music forum. Um, this isn't a music forum. I'm not going to give you any answers to the questions about music. Because I can't, I don't know enough yet, and I don't believe that we're ready for that yet. What I am going to, with the Lord's help, try to do is exhort all of us, beginning with me, as to what does it mean to have a brotherhood and how that will affect everything else that we do. There are some folks that love me a lot. And one of them said to me, are you sure you want to do this? Others said, why would you get involved in something like this? Am I sure I want to do it? Sort of. But it's too late because I'm here. Why do I want to do it? Or why am I willing to do it? Number one, I was asked. Number two, this brother agreed to do it with me, which gave me a lot of confidence. And I thought back, I'm 41 years old. I have been to 33 Eastern camps. This is my 33rd. I was six years old when my parents took me to Webster Springs, and I was supposed to sleep in upstairs slab side with other boys, but I felt all alone. My brother was 11, he was downstairs, and Brother Riney was his counselor. So Brother Riney said, well, there's a bed here, he can sleep down here. And when I look at my son Timothy at six years old, I think, my goodness, did we expect a lot of young people at Webster Springs, but we did. Now, I'd like to see a show of hands. How many of you folks have been to ten or more camps? How many of you have been to twenty or more camps? How many of you have been to thirty or more camps? Notice the hands coming down. How many of you have been to 40 or more camps? One, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody 50 or more? You know, if Uncle Harold was here, he could raise his hand, and I think Uncle George could probably raise his hand. There have been a lot of Eastern camps, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here. Because... And I want to ask another question. How many of you folks have been called, those of you that are my brothers and sisters, have been called at Eastern Camp and followed through on that calling? 
There's a lot of reasons why I'm here. Two of my children heard the call of God at Eastern Camp and came and talked to their dad. And the following year, we're brothers and sisters. That's why I'm here. Folks, we have something so special that you can't. You can't walk away from a challenge. You can't walk away from an opportunity to go and fight for the Lord. You know, years ago in this country, there was a sign with this funny guy with patriotic clothing and his finger pointed. It says, Uncle Sam wants you. All of you folks in this room, God wants you to make Eastern Camp better than it has ever been. God wants you to make the brotherhood stronger and more vibrant than it has ever been. And the question that each one of us has to ask ourselves is, are we willing to answer that call? Does Eastern Camp mean enough to us for us to get out of our comfort zones to look at things like we've never looked at them? And only you can answer that question. I had to answer it, and it was not easy in the beginning. I I have a note here that says that no spiritual endeavor that I've ever undertaken other than my conversion has consumed more of my time and emotion and thought than this. Since I was asked to work on this last September, I have been awakened at night Worrying. How do you present this? And what the Lord did early on was brought somebody into my life and I couldn't make the connection at that time. There was a man that uh, is, is doing quality consulting with us in our shop. And he came in and the first meeting that he and I had, it actually was last, a year ago, July, before camp of last year, he came to market his services as a quality consultant and found a grant from the state to pay his, his way, and that really was good for me. He's helping us achieve our ISO certification. The first meeting that we had, I recognized something different about this man. And he with me, and we both, by the end of the meeting, had shared the fact that we were both born-again Christians. And at that point, I took the man at his word and believed that... the through time, I will know if he's right or not. And I'm sure he felt the same way about me. And, dear ones, there was no question, and is no question in my mind, that my friend Steve Slate is a truly born-again Christian. And we had a lot of discussions. And in one of our discussions, we did get some work done, by the way, but in one of our discussions, I misspoke. And I said, you know, isn't it... uh, Wonderful that it's only the slim majority of believers that fall away. And I meant to say minority. And I corrected myself and he said, oh, he, he, he still half the time refers to me as Brother David. He said, oh, Brother David, you know, you, you weren't misspeaking. You were very accurate. And I said, Steve, you know, what are you saying? He said, well, our church that has an average attendance of four to 5,000, if I'm not mistaken, has thousands of members. He says, the vast majority don't stay faithful. And we have a a stadium in town. It's on our university, Carrier Dome, that seats 50 to 54,000 people for football. I'll give Steve the benefit of the doubt and say 30,000 for basketball. He said, our pastor has told us that if everybody that has come to this church 
and given their lives to the Lord would have, would have stayed with us and stayed faithful, we could fill the carrier dome. And I wondered, how could that be? And then the Lord showed me why Steve was brought into my life. Well, a couple reasons. One is, I think, so that I could express to Steve our understanding of conversion that is unique. Now, I am not saying we are going to be the only people in heaven. By any means, I'm not saying that. If that's the case, it's way too big. And that's not the God that I read about in the Scriptures. The other reason was so that I could get a greater appreciation for what we have. The brother that gave his testimony Sunday night, I don't know if he realizes it, but he quoted a Swiss brother that gave, I think he might have given the talk, one of the first camps, if not, it was a brothers meeting in Mansfield in 1948 when he said, brothers, not boasting, we have the best thing on earth. The more we look at it, the more we study it or something like that, the more we realize what great light was given to our forefathers. Not that we have a franchise on conversion. Not that we have a franchise on heaven or salvation. But that our brothers and sisters that went before us recognize that conversion is not an instantaneous thing. That it is not simply making a decision and then going on with your life. It's making a decision to seek the Lord. And the beginning of a beautiful process of learning to know who God is, what God can do for us, and allowing the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, take over our lives, fill us, give us victory over sin and death, and then we are redeemed. And we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to stay faithful. My friend said to me, he said, you know, my mother uh, accepted the Lord and three years later received the Holy Spirit. And then I realized that he and I were probably talking about a lot of the same thing, but that he misunderstood some of it. At least, my understanding is that he misunderstands some of it. I said, you see, Steve, we believe that that experience is complete when the person has the Holy Spirit indwelling them and we see the fruit of the Spirit and there's been the fruit of repentance in their lives. Why am I saying this? Because that's what focused my attention. That's how God focused my attention on what we need to spend the next 25 minutes talking about. And that is brotherhood. Our special brotherhood that we have. Those of like precious faith. Um, I want to... I'm not going to read all these verses uh, because there's way too many. And again, if somebody wants a copy of my outline, uh, Brother Johnny and I will make sure that they're available for you. Um, but I'm going, to read, I'm going to pick some verses out of 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 27. And I want to begin with verse 4. It says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's verse 4. I'm sorry. Verse 5. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Verse 6. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. We jump down to verse 13. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it not therefore of the body? Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? Verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. No, not as it pleased the body. Not as it pleased the members, as it pleased Him. 
He set us in the body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care one for another. Verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And in Ephesians 2.21, in whom the whole building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. Dear ones, that's a brotherhood. Everybody different. Everybody bringing something to it and making it a better organism, a body that functions properly. Um, I've got a body that's missing a part. And there are times when my body doesn't function right because it's, I'm missing a kidney. I was born without one. And there were times, especially when I was like 19 and 20 years old, when that really hindered my, my lifestyle, so to speak. I would get very tired very easy. I'd start losing weight like crazy. And my urinary tract would become infected because I had one kidney. A simple thing. An uncomely part. They didn't even know it was missing until they went looking for it and couldn't find it. What are some benefits of the body, of, of having a brotherhood, uh, a body of Christ? And I'm going to give you an example, but I want you to think of some because I want some feedback. Um, Sunday night, I came to talk to the young people at the teen praise singing. Something I said was taken by some to mean something that I didn't mean. The first hint that I had of that was a brother that came up to me the next morning and he said, could I talk to you for a minute? And he said to me, did you say yesterday or last night that clapping was evil? I said, no, I didn't say that because I wouldn't say that because it's not. It may be inappropriate at times, but it's not evil. How can that be evil? An activity that's not evil could be used by the devil to cause dissension among brethren, but that activity is not evil. We, we have a brother here from Africa. It may be proper in his culture, in his congregations, for that to be part of the worship. That may not be the case to my brethren that are somewhere else. Second brother came to me, a brother that knows me more, knows me better, um, I know loves me a lot, and he came with even a different approach. He said, you know what? What you said, I knew what you meant, but I'm not sure everybody else did. You might want to clarify that. Why did he know that isn't what I meant? And I, I, I pointed to him, so, so now you know it's Brother Tom. Why did Brother Tom know that's not what I meant? Because he knows me and he loves me. He spent time with me. We share concerns. Do we agree on everything? No. Does it matter? No. Because we love each other, like I love few brothers. That's a benefit of brotherhood. What are some other benefits of brotherhood? I got a list here, but I want some from you. What benefits do you get from Eastern Camp? Jason? Oh, um, I wasn't going to say directly. That's okay. Uh, well, like when the youth choir went over to the West Coast, they could go to any of the churches and stay at anyone's house and not, not have to worry about paying for a hotel. And they might not have known who they stayed at, but because of the bond that we have, they could stay there and be welcome and loved. Very good. We can travel, brothers and sisters and friends, to other believers' homes. We don't know them, but by morning it's like we've known them for years. Not to mention the cost savings. 
But there is a bond. There's a precious bond because we are of like precious faith. And you know what? I don't know any other group of believers that can do that. My friend Steve. One church. He never goes anywhere. Where's he going to go? He doesn't know anybody. That's a benefit of our, our brotherhood here. It's a tremendous one. Some more. Don't be shy, Bob. An accountability. Thank you. We, we hold each other accountable. We, we help each other. One of the first things that, that we, we counsel souls when they're seeking the Lord is to go tell, first of all, mom and dad, if they're, if they're young. Uh, Brother John has a great one. If you're in school, uh, send a letter or call a classmate of a decision you've made because when you get back to school, they help you hold accountable. Very good. There's a hand up here. Lynn. Emotional support, sometimes physical support. What else? Yes. Prayer support. Prayer warriors. You know, I can stand here because I know there's a lot of people praying. Now, you know, Brother Johnny and I were joking that we were hoping there weren't any lions in those, those two gates there. But, you know, some of our brethren have had to do that. And when the gates opened, lions did come out. Some more. Correction. Brethren help us. They help us see things as they really are. You know, all of us view everything from our own focal point. We see things through the paradigm that we're used to looking through, so to speak. We have to sometimes get outside that. What else? One more. Very good. A corporate fire, like a coal that helps burn, that helps ignite. You know, you take that coal out of the fire, it's going to cool off. But if it stays with all the other embers, it stays hot and it stays vibrant. All right, now I really got to move. Um, so I thought to myself, well, okay, we love the brotherhood. We're glad we have one. Big deal. Well, you know what? We all have a responsibility in that brotherhood. Um, I want to read a verse for you. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as the wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Brothers and sisters and friends, whether we want to admit it or not, as we go through life, we are either building up or tearing down the body of Christ and the Word of God. It's how we act. It's how we live. Are, are our actions something that builds up or edifies the body, or does it tear it down? And you know, when I look back in my 22, 23 years as a believer, there were a lot of wrecking balls that came out of my pockets. And not enough time spent with bricks and mortar. So I wanted to look at what are some of the things I can do. And the first one is love. But not just any kind of love. 1 Peter 1.22 Seeing... Ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Brothers and sisters, that's our responsibility. 
We start out by saying, seeing that you have purified your souls by by obeying the truth. The prerequisite that enables us to be able to do the other part of it. Through Through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know what? If, if we love each other with a pure heart fervently, we will not think of the evil thing first. We won't think of the bad thing first. We'll think like my brother did for me. You know what? That's not what he meant. Or my other brother that loves me a lot but doesn't know me as well and would say, is that really what you meant? Because he didn't think it would be. Philippians 2.3 Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem the other better than themselves. There is nothing as destructive in any kind of organization than an exaggerated sense of being right. I don't care what organization it is. Whether it's from the Boy Scouts to a team at work to the household of faith where brethren gather. If we think we're always right and it's our way or the highway, we're a disruptive force and we become a cancer in the body. I don't usually like to to quote people that aren't in the Bible or or our forefathers, but there's a a man that has put together... uh, plans and helps coach people on how to become effective and how to be good communicators. And he said, one of his principles is seek first to understand, then to be understood. How do we typically respond? Typically, I want people to understand my point of view. Wrong! If I would take the time to understand where they're coming from, I might be able to save the trouble of having to help them understand because we might be on the same page. Or if I understand their point of view, maybe the Lord can then use that information so that I can present the point of view the Lord has given me in a way that can be received. Humility. Romans 12.3 For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think more highly of him, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Who are we anyways? What do I have to say? Nothing. I, you know, I made a comment in our class this morning. It's not about us, it's about God. You know, we talk about fearing God and we want to come to meet God. It's not about us, it's got to be about Him. If we have a proud and arrogant attitude, we can't interact with brethren. We can't help win souls. We can't help become solutions to problems as opposed to a fly in the ointment or sand, dirt in the wound. Number three, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Is that what is flowing from my life? 
are the, and it doesn't say the fruits. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. Is the plant, the part of the vine, the branch of that vine, the shoot coming off, that's David Freund, bearing the fruit that it should bear? Or do I need some pruning? I think I need some pruning. Not being as fruitful as I should be. Maybe some of the fruit's missing. And you know, you can. I, I have some grapes. I'm not, a, I'm not a vineyard keeper by any means. I'm not much of a gardener. I can, I can run a lawnmower pretty well. Um, but I have some grapes, and I didn't prune them this year. And there's tons of grapes. That doesn't make sense. My neighbor man has a grape arbor that he never prunes. He didn't have a lot of grapes. I might have a lot of grapes this year, but I doubt I'll have a lot of grapes next year. And maybe next year's harvest will be good, but without any pruning, the plant grows into itself. It gets tangled, and the bunches of grapes are smaller, and the grapes are deformed. I know, because I pick my neighbors when I want to make grape juice. We need pruning. And sometimes we might think, well, we don't need pruning. Look at the fruit. Let's let God decide when the pruning's needed, not us. Like-mindedness. Now, here's a touchy one. Like-mindedness. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You might think, what was Paul dreaming of here? Well, the problem he had was And this was the beginning of his first letter to the church in Corinth. And there were some that said they were of Paul and some that said they were of Apollos. And he said, wrong, we're all of Christ. We need to strive to be of the same mind. We need to strive to be of the same judgment. Does that mean that we're always going to agree on everything? I hope not. Because some of the things that I might want you to agree on aren't scriptural doctrinal things but on scriptural and doctrinal things we have to mind the same thing and that is attainable that is achievable and we're even going to be in the same mind on other things if we have love for each other and if we establish the, the the environment and the relationship to work through the problems work through the discussions rather than labeling and separating Philippians 3.16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Organizations can't function without rules. It's not possible. Our country has rules. Um, Our families have rules. The Bible has given us rules. Eastern Camp has to have rules. Do we like them all? No. Do we agree with them all? No. Should we obey them all? Yeah. Why? Because isn't camp worth it? We can all have our own way. We can all do our own thing. And camp collapses on itself. And it doesn't exist anymore. What's going to happen to all of you? 
or your children, those of you that heard the call at camp and answered the call and stayed faithful to your, your search for the Lord, where would you have been had there not been a camp? You know, this forum came about because of concerns about praise singing. There's no, nobody's hiding that. You know what? That wasn't the first problem that Eastern Camp ever faced. And it won't be the last if the Lord tarries. And we all hold it all together with God's help. There will be more. There will be things we can't even imagine today that are going to come. The question is, are we going to be ready to see what's happening and address it right away? Um, do we have anybody in here that cuts or has cut firewood and split logs in the past? I know we have some. Okay. If you got a log, now we don't have a splitter because we can't afford one. Hydraulic splitters are nice, but we don't have one of those. How else do you split wood? With an axe? What would there? A mall. A mall. Thank you. There's a brother that has really split wood. You can split wood with an axe, but you usually take a tree down with an axe. What's the difference between a mall and an axe? The mall wedges the wood apart. It's got a wider head and it's a little bit heavier, perhaps. Now, what happens if I can't split that wood with the mall? What else do I use? Wedges. What's a wedge? A stupid little piece of steel that's very handy. And it just it's like a little doorstop. And you get a crack. And you put the wedge into the crack. And then you hit the wedge with the mall. So now we split this part. So now we're going to go and we're going to, maybe we'll rotate. Maybe we got a really stubborn piece of willow. You know, it's not worth splitting because it doesn't burn well anyway. It burns, but it doesn't give you any heat. But maybe it's a, it's a piece of wood that's real stringy. So now I got to roll it over and I drive another wedge in. I find a crack. Is a wedge an evil thing? No, not at all. It's a tool. It can be used well or it can be used improperly. The devil doesn't care what he uses, brothers and sisters. He only cares that he finds a wedge that he can put into a crack and start tapping with a maul. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that it works. His desire is to break apart the, 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 the bond that holds the log together. Um, submission. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I don't like to submit. I'll admit it. I hope as I grow older and the Lord can control me more and more, as, as I allow the Spirit to control more of my waking moments completely, that I will learn to enjoy to submit. I, you know, there are times when I like to submit. I like to submit to folks that I know love me. That's not hard. You know, Husbands and wives submit to each other. And it's not hard because they love each other. In the household of faith, we have to submit to one another. If it's hard, maybe there's something lacking. Maybe that ointment that helps the submission go easier, we need more of that. Maybe it's that love. The love of Christ. The love for a brother or a sister in saying, there is one for whom Christ has died. They're worth submitting to. Obedience. Um, people don't usually like to obey either. It's a human trait. We just shouldn't have to obey. But the Scriptures say we do. 
Hebrews 13:7 Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow. Don't just obey anybody. Look at who is saying something. Look at the life that they lead. Look at the example that they have been, the care that they have shown for the church. You know, I'm I'm thinking about our shepherd brothers. Are they perfect? No. They're not going to be perfect until their heart beats the last beat and they exhale the last amount of air. But what have they given for the faith? And what example have they given? Uh, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that misgive account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. That is unprofitable for you. Sometimes folks have to make a decision and it's not always easy. But if we like what we have, we have to go along with it. My last one, and I'm going to do it real quick, I promise. Respect for my weaker brother. Romans 14:15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Romans 14:21 is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Brothers and sisters and friends, we need to be careful that as we go through life at our home church here at camp that 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 some liberty that I might take. Now, and I don't want to let's not just say causes my brother or sister to stumble, but does it interfere with their peace. Does it interfere with their blessings at camp? Is what I'm doing so important that I have to do it? It may not be wrong. But is it edifying? It may be, it may, you know, there may be nothing in the Scripture that says I can't do it, but does it build up the body? Let's seek for those things that do. Let's work on building up the body. Let's work on getting to know each other. Let's work on loving each other. And I'm not saying anything to you that I have not been trying to put in practice in a greater measure in my own life. And then, the brotherhood will be in the condition it needs to be in when those that will take more time and will study concerns like a charismatic movement that I, that I have grave concerns about, I haven't done enough homework on it. There are brothers that are. When those brothers come, we'll be ready to listen. And we won't look at it as being constraining. We'll be looking at it as folks really trying to help us. Keep going what we have. Eastern Camp is a place where folks come from all over. From Africa, from Australia, from Europe, from Canada, from the United States. There are things that we may do in Syracuse that, based on the Word of God, are fine. But based on a cultural bend, my brethren, let's say in Mansfield, would think that's wrong. You know what? When I come to camp, I'm not going to do that. I'll wait till I get back home. I can go a week building up the brotherhood, building up the household of faith. And what will happen in time is that there will be a blending of ideas. And there will be those that will see things in a different light. So my hope and prayer is that you all might have taken this not as a 
a form about what we can and can't do, but as an but an, an exhortation to put down my own will and look to my brother and my sister and say, how can I help you? What can I do that's going to build you up? What can I do to love you more? And God will give us such blessings and so much joy that we won't be able to contain it. And people are going to hear about that. And we won't be wondering, are we going to have 600 people at camp? Because people are going to say, I can't wait to go to camp. Because those people, they come back so fired up. And they come back you know, in, in, in a deeper love for the truth, for God, and for each other. And they can't wait to see each other again. I'd like to ask um, that you allow me to close with a prayer. And then if anybody does have any question they want to ask me afterwards, I will answer. I'm sure Brother John would as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have chosen to entrust the church to men. Father, while we may not understand why, we accept that as an opportunity to allow you to fill our hearts and to motivate us toward greater love for thee and for each other. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, we might, each one of us, beginning with the one that's praying, have a renewed desire to build up the household of faith, to look for common ground, to strengthen each other and to be a blessing to each other. And then truly, Lord, we will be the brightest light that the world could see because what will be flowing through us is thy son's love. And thy word tells us that that's how all men will know that we're your disciples because of the love that we have for each other. We thank thee, Father, for brethren that for years solved the problems. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us might take our place in the ranks to help solve the problems for the generations that might come after us. We thank Thee and we praise Thee for all Thy gracious blessings and goodness. In Jesus' name.